It's called the black man is God. It's called the black man is God. Next hour. This is for the children. You know what I'm saying? I got this idea from myself, of course. But this is for the children. I got this prediction. This will be the biggest upset in all of fighting history. The easiest fight of my life. You think your cousin can with me? You really do? Anybody on your watch? Anybody in my family? Mike Corey and Sean Jordan was the essence of the young chorus where we grew from. Seemed like a second, now they less important to the new son. I guess today weighs more than yesterday. It's morbid to suggest that they will come for them too. When it's a brother younger than you, who humble and who? Used to coach a night coast and blew up. Who knew? He caught you on a rough night, you were stumbling through. Now he telling you to get yours, get yours. All of you reporters made it hard on them. Never write about me like that. Never make me think about Get yours, get yours. Check, check. Goal ain't have a net. Y'all be surprised to know how hyped I still get off that that intro music. Shout out to Scheme for holding me down. Jay Hicks, Hip Hop Sports Support Podcast is back again. Um, I am in the preseason podcast of the year studios, which uh, doubles as my basement, um, surrounded by kids' toys and Christmases that have gone by. <laughs> my kids are so spoiled. They get something for Christmas. My oldest, anyways, he gets something for Christmas, and then like two days later, he's asking for more stuff. It's like, dude. Your birthday's right before Christmas. You just had Christmas. Like, come on, man. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. So I wanted to come at y'all today. Uh, today's actually the late hours of Thursday, January 13th. Um, I'm probably going to complete this podcast on Friday the 14th, and my hope is that I'll be able to have it posted by Saturday the 15th. So that's just how this, is. <laughs> that's just how this one's going to play out. But uh, I wanted to get in touch with y'all because... It's the NFL playoffs, y'all. And you know we do a lot of content around playoff time every year. Um, I love NFL playoff season. I mean, obviously the games are are typically pretty pretty tremendous. But beyond just that, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like I just do some of my best work <laughs> this time of year. I've written some of my best articles. Uh, my predictions have been on point. You know what I mean? Um, just to kind of give you guys uh, an idea of where we stand historically picking playoff games on this website so your boy has i think going back to 2000 around 2014 maybe was the first year something like that or in the in that 2013 14 range um maybe 14 15 range was when i started picking playoff games on the website you would not believe my record picking games in the playoffs all time and i pick upsets too i pick like legit upsets such as the Bucks beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year. It's funny how everybody says Tampa has a super had a super team last year and has always had a super team. But that didn't stop anybody from picking the Chiefs last year. Everybody and their mama picked the Chiefs to win that game. And then when the Bucks destroy them, then it's like, oh, well, you know, Mahomes 
offensive line, you know what I'm saying, falling apart. He didn't he didn't have a line. He didn't have a line. I said, well, how come that didn't stop you from picking him? You know what I mean? But I digress. To give you a glimpse of what type of prognosticator I have been. And yeah, I'm patting myself on the back again, you know, because that's what I do on this podcast. I'm trying to gain listeners, y'all. If y'all can come up with a better way for me to gain listeners, let me know. You know what I mean? If y'all want to do something, I put, put together a marketing plan for Hip Hop Sports Support. I'm, I'm all ears because not that I couldn't do it myself, but I just don't have the time. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest That's really what it boils down to I don't have the time for a, a PR and marketing campaign But, you know, I like to make Say smart stuff And then lean on the smart stuff that I say After I'm proven right And that's what the first part of this podcast is all about In the history of this website My record picking playoff games is 67 and 33 67 no, that's not even right. 68. That didn't even count the Super Bowl last year. 68 and 33 is the record. Including 25 and 13 all time on Wildcard Weekend. Last year alone, I was 11 and 2 during the playoffs and 10, 2 and 1 against the spread. So it only makes sense for me to come at y'all and drop some more wisdom on y'all in the month of January. I was born in the month of January, so this is a this is a this is this is my gift back to the world. <laughs> you know, the world was gifted me in January, and then in in a, a, a sign of great uh, magnanimity, I'm going to go ahead and just give back to the world. So I'm going to give you my playoff picks for the wild card round, and if I can remember to do it, I'll tell you what my Super Bowl, Super Bowl prediction is at the start of the playoffs. But first. There's a couple other things I want to get off my chest. Two things that I enjoy talking about the most, and, and if any of you guys follow me on Twitter, you already know what it is. And I appreciate the follow, and I appreciate you guys putting up with me. But two things that I talk about a lot, Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield. And I wanted to lead off the podcast talking about those two individuals because those two guys tend to stay in the news, in, in the football news. The Cleveland Browns scratched at my Cleveland Browns uh, to say that they had a disappointing season would be an understatement. Um, I love I love the Browns. They they hate me, and they hate all their fans because as soon as they get a whiff of expectation, they they fold like Superman on Laundry Day. To quote Bart Simpson, uh, you know it's just it's just sad. It's, it's a sad state of affairs Like once you think that your team is actually going to do something And then they just fall on their face You know once the, once the lights come on That's what the Browns have been recently They sucked forever And then when they didn't suck And people said oh you're good now Okay prove it And then they, <laughs> they, just, they, just, they just fall down on the floor and cry I want to start by playing you guys a clip From what I said about Baker Mayfield during the 2018 NFL Mark Draft edition of the preseason podcast of the year. So Mark Hicks, our our resident draft expert, as you know, comes on, does the Mark Draft every year. He projected Baker Mayfield to go third to the New York Jets on that podcast. And I had some thoughts to share about Baker. This is what I said about Baker in April 2018. 
big takeaway with Baker Mayfield. I, he, to me, he is the perfect storm of like negativity, and that sounds <laughs> <laughs> that sounds much more harsh than it's intended to be. But here's what right. I mean by that. Okay. Uh, so you have the the fact that he's six feet tall, right? Um, right. I'm, I'm not convinced that he didn't wear platform shoes at the combine and try to get try to make convince people that he's a little bit tall, right? Um, we got that. We got the fact that he played in the Big 12, and we know Big 12 yep. quarterbacks have struggled coming into the league. Most of them are playing spread offenses. They don't play under center. They don't play defense in the Big 12, so he's going to put up these monster numbers that you have to take with a grain of salt, right? Correct. We know that he's got this temperament where he's he's got the chip on his shoulder, and he's very much um, not afraid to speak his mind, but it's kind of too his own peril at a lot of times and you see the the fieryness come out of him in ways where he's planting the flag at Ohio State it, it was fun yeah. as a fan but that's not what you want out of your NFL quarterback to behave that way uh granted he wasn't in the NFL at the time but you get the idea uh right. you have that you have the crash grabbing incident I think against Kansas you have the arrest yeah. you have uh the fact that he he played from a spread offense he ran around a lot um from what I saw on the film with Baker Mayfield, a lot of his best throws and his biggest games, frankly, he was throwing to guys who were just running wide open. Wide open. So, so yep. granted, he, he is accurate. I don't disagree with that. But it's way easier to be accurate when you're throwing to guys that are running wide open, right? Yeah, there was a exactly. lot of that with Baker Mayfield. And he has, like, a reporter from Sports Illustrated who's following him around everywhere and all that dude is doing is writing glowing things about Baker and defending him at every turn. Uh, He's got like a camera crew following him, which is, I guess he's trying to put together some kind of reality show deal or whatever in the draft process. Seems like some me guy type tendencies. You know what I'm saying? Basically like everything he's doing, like none of these things individually means he will fail as an NFL quarterback. But collectively, when you take the sum of the fact that he's six feet tall, like being six feet tall doesn't mean you're going to fail. But Correct. the track record is six feet, guys that are six feet tall fail. Like that's that's what the data says. So right. he's six feet tall. He's not CEO-like. He played in not a pro offense. He's throwing the guys that are wide open. He got arrested. He's... You know, he he's a lot like Johnny Manziel in a lot of these behaviors because he seems to come off like a me guy. His he seems to run like to run around and play outside the pocket. He's but he's not that athletic. I mean, there's he hates the Johnny comparison, but there's a lot of Johnny comparisons here. Put up huge numbers in college in a spread offense. Like I just don't. There's just too many things here. There's too many flags that suggests, okay, when you put all these things together, he's not going to be as successful as some of these other quarterbacks. And so that's my thing with him. Now, here's my question for you guys. Fast forwarding back (laughs) to January of 2022. It's been almost four years. Now ask yourselves, where's the lie? Where's the lie, y'all? Tell me what I said three and a half, almost four years ago that hasn't proven to be true about Baker Mayfield. I mean, have we seen his height be an issue? How many batted balls did we watch against the Steelers in that last game? Which, by the way, I got absolutely screwed by the Browns (laughs) and lost my fantasy championship that I got on here and bragged about on the last podcast uh, with my man uh, Kenneth Hicks joined us to talk a little hip-hop in 2021 uh, to close out the year. That was a fun podcast. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. We covered a lot of ground. But 
I I did have some stuff to say about my uh, fantasy league, which I don't believe I edited. I don't believe I edited that. Edited that out. But uh, yeah, that that turned out to be pretty bad because I needed Nick Chubb to score a touchdown, and he didn't do it, even though they had him on the one yard line with a minute left in the game, and they didn't hand him the ball. Um, we'll get actually come back around to that in a minute. But how many batted balls did we see that night? How many times did Baker Mayfield get his get his? <laughs> it's like a, imagine like a like a, a, a eighth grader trying to play with the varsity basketball team. He was just getting his shit tossed left and right. Like that's what we saw all night from Baker Mayfield. Um, but yeah, I mean, is his height a factor? Is that an issue? Yeah, it is. Does he seem like a me guy to you? I mean, do I? I mean, like, I, I don't mean that to say that Baker doesn't care about his teammates and that he doesn't also care, you know, care about his guys in the locker room. But does Baker care a lot about Baker? I think so. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't be taking to social media to fight every battle with every media member known to man that's ever taken a shot at him. I mean, he wouldn't be calling out everybody that he always likes to call out and and leaning on this bravado that I talked about that comes back to bite him. I mean, we've seen that. We, we've seen him call out teammates. We've seen him call out the medical staff. We've seen him uh, not back up Miles Garrett initially after the game in the Mason Rudolph uh, situation. We've seen him kind of act as though he calls the shots in terms of his injury and whether or not he plays. We've seen him basically throw the coaches under the bus before recently we even saw him play all season with a with a busted up arm i feel like that's that's the kind of stuff that uh, a, a a selfish person does those types of things and then he's only enabled by his wife who won't shut her trap on social media either and then she drags the whole team into it, saying stuff like, or uh, you know, posting things that other people say on social media, talking about if only the team had as much heart as Baker did. You think that went over well in the locker room? I'm pretty sure it didn't. Baker sulking about the Odell situation <laughs> to the point that Odell gets kicked off the team for being open too much. That's literally what happened with the Browns this year. One of their biggest problems was that a star receiver was open too much and the quarterback couldn't get him the ball, so the receiver got the blame. And then they sent him out of town on the first thing smoking. Is it any accident that he goes to a new team and catches like five touchdowns in six games and now he's in the playoffs, that receiver? The idea that the Browns ran Odell Beckham out of town for Baker Mayfield is insane to me. I just don't see where I said anything that was not accurate. I mean, all the commercials. Look at all the commercials he's been in. All, I mean, when I say all, I mean all the commercials he's been in. <laughs> I mean, he does most of them with Progressive, but I've seen him do a few other commercials as well. The guy's, uh, his time is quite occupied when he's not on the football field. But again, add everything up. Add up all of the the pieces of clue. Add up all the clues you can find. Follow the breadcrumbs. See where they lead you. Baker is just not a good fit because he brings too much baggage 
to the party, in addition to being an average quarterback. We watched this dude be average for four years. I mean, year one, six and seven record, six un- b- below 64% completions, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. 27 touchdowns is great for a rookie. 14 picks, it's 14 picks. It's not, that's not amazing. Year two, six and 10 record. So again, six wins. Sub 60% completion percentage, 22 t- TDs, 21 interceptions. That is an abomination of a season. In year two, year three, 11 and five, much better. Still sub 63% completions, 26 touchdowns, eight picks, pretty good. And then this year, six and eight record, sub 61% completion percentage. I thought this dude was supposed to be accurate coming out of college. 17 touchdowns, 13 picks. Baker Mayfield has proven to be nothing more than average at best and trash at worst. And that's what he is. We hear all these narratives about him all the time. Like, oh, he plays best with his back against the wall. No, no he doesn't. <laughs> we would have seen it. <laughs> we would have seen it by now. We would have seen it. Like, how many times was his back against the wall this year? How many must-win games did the Browns have, and they tried his injured ass out there, and he stinks up the joint? You know what I mean? Now, I'm going to talk about the injury in a moment, but... You know, we hear this narrative all the time about Baker is that he, he plays with his back against the wall. Oh, he's a fighter. He's a gamer. Where has that gotten the Browns? It's gotten the Browns in mediocrity. At best, Baker's inconsistent. He's, he's streaky. I've said that before. He's a streaky quarterback. He's not, it's not as though he doesn't have any talent or any skill at all, but he's a streaky quarterback. But streaky is just a nice word to use. It's a nice euphemism for inconsistent. And that's what he's been. And it's no coincidence that that's what the Browns have been. Two up years, two down years in terms of relative to expectations. That's what the Browns have been since Baker got here. Because that's what he is. He's inconsistent. He gives you a good game. He gives you a bad game. You seen that meme that goes online, the Baker Mayfield cycle? Uh, What is it? Play like shit. Call out the doubters. Underdog mentality. Beat an inferior opponent. Trash talk play like shit like it's the cycle like that is the truest meme that you will find on the internet is is baker beating up on bad defenses beating up on inferior opponents uh putting up big numbers in games that don't really mean anything getting everybody all hyped up worked up running his mouth running his yap trying to act like a tough guy poking his chest out chugging beers at the indians game and then he goes in against a game that really matters against a real defense and he doesn't show up. Baker apologists will point to the playoff game last year against Pittsburgh. And that was great. That was a, he played really well that day. And even in that game, I think he was still hovering around 62% completion percentage, which again is not great. And the Browns gave that dude like four interceptions in the first 15 minutes of the game. I mean, that's a hard game to lose. Even though Baker played well. The run game was cooking. Nick Chubb was running all over the place. Uh, Kareem Hunt was running all over the place. And the Browns had like four turnovers in the first half and got out to a 28 to nothing lead. And what we know about Baker is that he can play with the lead, but can he play when he's trailing? When you need him to play, when, you, when the defense knows he needs to throw the football in order for the Browns to get back into the game, can he do it? And the answer is a resounding, overwhelming no every single time. 
So when we have to sit here and have this conversation about Baker, like what is he going to be for the Browns? What is he supposed to, What you know, are the Browns going to sign into a long-term extension? Man, I, they better not or else I'm going to have to turn my colors in, man. I mean, we know what this dude is. We don't need any more information on Baker Mayfield. We've gathered all the info. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't be back next year because I think there's a really good chance that he will be. But I know Andrew Barry is too smart to not be looking for his replacement. And there is no way that you sign that guy to an extension unless you're paying him below market value. If you're getting him on a, on a bargain to be your backup, then great, because he's probably going to be the best backup in the league. But if you're going to pay that guy like a top-end starter, the Browns will never, ever win a Super Bowl. They'll never come close. They'll never sniff it. Never. I mean, I'm so sick of watching Baker Mayfield sail passes into the third row on Sundays. Every pass he throws is high. Have you noticed that? That's what happens when you're undersized. You have to overcompensate, so you throw everything high. The completions, the incompletions, they're always high with Baker. Now, going back to the injury, do I think the injury impacted his performance? Absolutely. Baker Mayfield is not as bad of a quarterback as he played this year. I, I do believe that. He's better than what he showed this year. However, I've come up with not one, not two, not three, but four major issues with giving him a pass because of his shoulder injury. Number one, whose fault is it that he got hurt? He got hurt because he thinks so highly of himself that he thought that he could make a tackle on a safety in the open field after he threw a horrendous interception in week two. So Baker throws a pick. Baker tries to make a tackle. Baker gets himself hurt. Then Baker tries to play all year on said injury. Nobody told him to do that, but he wanted to do it. Why did he want to do it? I think he wanted to do it to prove he was tough. I think he wanted to do it because he knew he was in a contract year and sitting on the sidelines for 8, 12, 15 weeks is going to help him get that deal. Even though he's not, te- he's not technically in a contract year, but he knows that the extension is, is on the table and he's, he's, he's in a position to where he needs to start thinking about what his next move, in, move is and what his next contract is. And you're not going to get that contract sitting on the sideline. So I think he was thinking about that. I think he, and I think he also wanted to help the team win and be there for his teammates. I think all those things can be true. But it was still his fault that he got hurt in the first place. So let's not lose sight of that. So that's the first thing. And the second thing was, again, as I mentioned, he, he wanted to play hurt. Nobody asked him to do that. The third thing is that the injury doesn't get to work in your favor. I've seen a lot of people try to make excuses for him this year, like, oh, well, you know, Baker, you have to throw this year out because Baker was injured all year. No, you don't. Why should we throw this year out? He, he's the one that made the decision to go out there playing hurt. So he doesn't get the benefit of having that excuse. He doesn't get that luxury. If he decided to play the whole season on an injury, then that's on you, dog. Like, you're signing up for the criticism that comes with you playing on an injured shoulder. That's the first thing. And secondly, if the question is about what we're going to do with you in the future, why is you being injured a benefit? Baker being hurt... That's not a reason to want to retain his services. He just proved that he can get hurt. Not that he's injury prone necessarily, but he's not as durable as maybe we thought. Because now he's had this pretty significant shoulder injury. So one more hit next year, even after surgery, and it's like, okay, 
Now he's got another shoulder injury. And then he's Tony Romo co- breaking his collarbone over and over again or whatever. If, if, if we're trying to settle the debate on whether or not you should be the long-term solution at quarterback, you getting injured this year does not work in your benefit. It actually works to your detriment. You've proven now that you have the capacity to get hurt. You're not Iron Man. You're not Brett Favre, okay? You get hurt too. So that's not a good thing. And lastly, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because as I mentioned Earlier in his career, Baker Mayfield has had seasons where he's thrown over 20 interceptions. He's been inconsistent his entire career. His third snap as a professional was a fumble, but nobody remembers it because the Browns recovered it. His first start as a professional, he turned it over four times and threw a pick six, but nobody remembers that because, you know, he was a rookie, it was his first start, and you get a pass for that kind of stuff. But this is who he's always been. He's, he's always been loose with the football anytime that they've asked him to throw the football. If you look back at the uh, one stretch of games in his career that people most point to, the people point to the most when trying to prop up Baker Mayfield, they point to the second half of last season. They say, well, the last eight games of last year, Baker was amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's look at those eight games. Okay, so we're talking about... Uh, the last half of last season with Kevin Stefanski, Baker played some of his best football. But in that stretch, his completion percentage still couldn't crack 64% through that eight-game stretch. He, he, had about, he was on pace for about 4,100 yards, which is a good pace for yardage. He had 11 touchdowns and one interception over eight games, which is great. But they shaved his attempts way back because the weather was terrible during that stretch of games. The week before, when, which they lost to the Raiders, that, the weather was terrible. Baker only threw it 25 times, completed 12 passes. The following week, he threw even fewer t- times. He threw 20 passes. The next week, he only threw 22 passes. And he completed 12 passes in each of those games as well. Once the weather got better, they started to let him open it back up a little bit. But one game was against Jacksonville. They literally were the worst team in football last year. One game was against the Jets. They were literally the second worst team in football last year. One team, one game was against the Giants, who was literally, what, maybe the third worst team in football last year? Something like that? Maybe top six, top five? They were pretty bad. Where did they pick in the draft last year? I don't remember, but it was, they were a pretty bad team. And then they had a game against Pittsburgh on the last game of the season where the Steelers had already locked up their playoff spot and they started Mason Rudolph at quarterback. So we have, of those eight games, we have one game was against Houston. They stunk and he only threw 20 passes. Another game against Philly, 22 attempts. One game against Jacksonville, who's terrible. One game against the Giants, who's terrible. One game against the Jets, who are terrible. One game against the Steelers, who didn't give it their best effort because they didn't have to because they were already locked up for a playoff spot and didn't start their starting quarterback. That leaves two other games, Baltimore and Tennessee. He played well in those two games, I would say. Um, Even though he threw an interception against Baltimore, um, he led the Browns back, and the Browns didn't win the game, but I would not put that on him that they didn't win that game. He did his part. And then the Tennessee game at Tennessee last year was probably the single most impressive performance of his career, in my opinion, when the Browns put up 41 points. He was 25 of 33 for 334, four TDs, a 147 passer rating. That was probably the best game Baker's ever played. 
But I'm not about to kiss his ass for one great game. I'm not going to do that. Even in that eight-game stretch, his passer rating was 100. This is the best stretch of ball in his career. His passer rating was 100. Do you know where that would rank in terms of passer ratings this year? It would rank like ninth. So that's not like amazing. You see what I'm saying? But this is what they try to act like. This is what they try to prop up with Baker Mayfield. They try to act as though those eight games were just the greatest eight games anybody's ever seen in the history of quarterbacking. And it's like, no. The guy had one really impressive game, maybe two. The rest of it came against bums. He's lighting up bums after Kevin Stefanski took the football out of his hands and started putting it in Nick Chubb's belly. And that's when the Browns turned the season around last year. But it's always an excuse with Baker Mayfield. First, it's the coach. It's Hugh Jackson. And it was a power struggle with Todd Haley. And they get them out of there. And then Freddie Kitchens is running the show, offensively calling the plays. And Baker's great, and he's setting rookie records, and everybody thinks he's the man. Well, Kitchen comes back. Freddie Kitchens comes back as the head coach the second year, and he's still calling the plays. But then Baker's terrible. Well, Freddie Kitchen somehow gets to blame for that, not Baker Mayfield. Even though Freddie was there when Baker was balling before, Freddie gets all the blame, and then he gets fired. Then the blame shifted to Odell Beckham because he got open too much. <laughs> Think about that. Or his dad put together a compilation video of Baker running, of Odell running wide open and Baker missing them. Like, yeah. That's going to be a problem. I would do the same thing if I was Odell's father. And I don't know why Odell got the blame for that. Like, Odell put him up to it. I don't know that he put him up to it. His dad is his own man. If we're going to blame Odell's dad for that, then we need to blame Baker for all of Emily Mayfield's bullcrap that she's been pulling on social media all season long. If we're going to blame Odell's daddy for that video montage that he did not create, he just reposted it, then we need to blame Baker Mayfield for Emily Mayfield running her mouth all season long. Then, once Odell's out of the picture, then they say, well, what's the health? It's the shoulder. Even though Odell, even though Baker is still missing guys, he's still not seeing guys that are running wide open. It's not even, it's not even every time he's throwing the ball and missing guys. It's just guys are running wide open and he's still missing them. Even that, no, it's, it's, still, it's still not Baker's fault. And now the latest is that it's the play calling. Again, we've circled our way back to the head coach again, and now it's Kevin Stefanski who's the problem, even though Kevin Stefanski won coach of the year last year, and Baker said that he was – everybody said Baker was great, Stefanski was great, everybody thought everything was great. Stefanski still here, still calling the plays, and now all of a sudden it's the injury, and even though Baker's still not seeing guys, and it's Odell's fault for being open too much and, and actually having the audacity to want the football when he's open – thrown at him accurately, and now it's Stefanski's fault for play calling when he's just basically proving that Baker cannot be a drop-back quarterback and just showing his limitations. Like, I don't know how much more evidence we need to see, man. You are not going to win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield as your starting quarterback. He's not the worst quarterback in football, but he damn sure ain't the best. He's inconsistent. He's average at best. If everything's working, he's 100% healthy. The line is healthy. The run game is working. Play action's working. The team is, the Browns are leading the game. The weather's decent. All that stuff is happening. 
then yeah, Baker Mayfield can be great on a given Sunday. If if you take if you remove any of those variables, lots of luck. And Baker's proven that time and time and time and time again. We don't need to see anything else from him. <laughs> if I'm the Browns, I'm absolutely trying to get Deshaun Watson. I'm trying to get Russell Wilson or whoever I can get to come here and save this thing because football windows close in an instant, y'all. They close quickly. The Browns, everybody thinks they have one of the elite rosters in the league. Then they need to be going for the Super Bowl right now while this roster is still elite and while they can still afford it. Because if they wait to another year messing around with Baker Mayfield, by next year, the roster is going to be too old, going to be too injured. You're going to have guys leaving. It's, it's going to fall apart, I'm telling you. And we're going to have wasted these, these prime years trying to figure out whether or not Baker Mayfield is the guy. When we already know he ain't the guy. And that brings me to the MVP conversation. So here's the thing with MVP, y'all. Uh, <laughs> talk about going from one spectrum to the other, <laughs> one extreme to the other, talking about Baker Mayfield to talking about Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Um, here's the thing. I've said this on Twitter multiple times. I don't understand how Aaron Rodgers all of a sudden became this shoe-in to win another MVP award. I don't understand it. Like, actually, I do understand it. That's not true. I do understand it, and I'm going to tell you why that is at the end. But, like, logically, it just doesn't add up. Aaron Rodgers has been phenomenal this year, but this year pales in comparison to what he did last year. Now, that's not what the criteria is for MVP, but part of the problem is I don't think anybody knows what the criteria is for MVP. But my issue is just I don't like the fact that he's this slam dunk No-brainer candidate now To the point that I think even after They beat the Vikings on Sunday Night Football They beat the lowly Vikings at home on Sunday Night Football And their backup quarterback Sean Mannion And then after the game Rodgers Who wasn't particularly impressive that night I don't recall, I don't believe Is doing his post-game interview And they actually asked him on the field Something like So you're probably going to win MVP Aaron How does you know? How does it feel blah, 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 blah. It's just like how did, how did we get here? How did we get here to the point that Aaron Rodgers is, he has to win it. Like, it just boggles the mind when Tom Brady is moving mountains down in Tampa Bay. If they had mountains in Tampa, Brady would be moving them. I don't have an issue with Rodgers winning MVP. I don't really have an issue with anybody voting Rodgers as MVP. He wouldn't be my choice. My choice is in Tampa Bay. Shocker, I know, right? Justin picked Brady for MVP. Okay, I get it. I'll explain it, though. But, friend of the podcast, Anthony Houston, frequent contributor to Hip Hop Sports Support, and from Orange and Blueprint Podcast fame, he and I had a lengthy uh, text message conversation that lasted like a week or more, just kind of debating the merits each guy had for MVP between Brady and Rodgers. And, you know, I was... It was very objective on both of our parts, I would say. I was, you know, st- I still believe that Brady was the guy and he would get my vote. And I think Rodgers would probably get Anthony's vote, Anthony being a longtime Packers fan. But Anthony was completely objective about it as well. And I think he agreed that 
Rodgers should not be this 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 shoe in MVP that people are making him out to be. Like these people that act like it, this, we're in the age of and it's not close, quote unquote, on social media. Oh, Rodgers is MVP and it's not even close. Yeah, somebody somebody smart once said, if any if ever you see somebody say and it's not even close on social media, they're probably an idiot because it probably is close. Um, here's what Anthony said. I actually asked him what is Rodgers' case for MVP. Anthony said, Rogers' argument is that he's been the best player on every down at the most important position in the sport. He's throwing TDs, run for a couple, four interceptions over 17 games is insanity. He's done it with one phenomenal wide receiver and a bunch of skilled guys who are average at best and behind a patchwork offensive line. The team couldn't get an easy W without him, and he won without his top three receivers in Arizona on Thursday Night Football, which is amazing, right? And so that was kind of... Anthony's reasoning as to what the case is for Aaron Rodgers. All all of it pretty valid stuff for the most part. I mean, I mean it's hard to argue that stuff. Now, he starts off by talking about he's the best player on a down by down basis. Basically, he's saying efficiency, right? The efficiency argument. Here's what I don't get, and here's what I think a lot of Brady supporters don't understand is how this efficiency thing became all of a sudden the most important piece of information when determining a most valuable player. Since when did quarterback efficiency become the thing? I mean, granted, we never had all these stats that we have now. And there are enough stats out there to to paint whatever position that you want to take as the correct position to take. So there's enough stats out there to support Rodgers. There's enough stats out there to support Brady. There's enough out there to support Joe Burrow and and other people. You know, there's stats galore out there. Um, there's enough ways that we can twist statistics to fit our own arguments. So I recognize all of that. But for as long as I've been watching football, this has been largely a quarterback award that's been given to quarterbacks who throw for the most yards and the most touchdowns. Like that's basically been what this has been. You know, high completion percentage, throw a lot of yards, throw a lot of touchdowns, win a lot of games, and that's that's your MVP. That's basically what it's been. Uh, all of a sudden, when Tom Brady's at the table, uh, the rules have changed. <laughs> they do that to him a lot, you know. Um, and granted, you know, Brady has some MVPs under his belt, but it was always under that format where, you know, the efficiency stuff typically comes along with the the raw volume stats the 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 numbers that um traditionally are celebrated more in football such as touchdown passes and passing yards and completion percentage and passer rating or qbr uh, even qbr is a little is newer and in getting into that efficiency lane but those are the kinds of things that have traditionally been measured as most important when judging an mvp well, Brady's all over Rodgers and those types of stats. Uh, completion percentage is close, but in favor of Rodgers. But I mean, he's got five more touchdowns, I believe, in or six total, I think, if you count rushing or something like that. Five to six more touchdowns. Brady has twelve hundred more passing yards, which is not an insignificant amount. Granted, Rodgers sat out the last half of the last game and he missed the game due to suspension, but or COVID protocol, whatever it was, but. I mean, 1,200. I mean, Rodgers wasn't throwing for 1,200 yards at Kansas City. I know that. That's a lot of yards that he's trailing Brady. 
Now, the efficiency police will tell you that, well, Rodgers put up similar stats. He threw way less interceptions. He threw similar stats. or He put up similar numbers in terms of touchdown passes and things like that. And he did it in fewer attempts, which goes to show you how much better he was. Well, if you look at the efficiency statistics that are out there, they're pretty much neck and neck, Brady and Rodgers. I mean, I'm not going to spend time to... I, you know, I have them in front of me, but I don't think it's good. It's good listening for me to just run down all these advanced stats that maybe you guys don't even fully understand, um, which is not, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't understand them, to be honest. But but basically, we're talking about anything that's per attempt, you know, yards per attempt, adjusted net yards per attempt, net yards per attempt, expected points per attempt these types of things or per play, like all those types of metrics, they do tend to favor Rodgers, but slightly. But other metrics that are, again, more the more traditional ones tend to favor Brady by a pretty comfortable margin. But when you're, when you're talking about just the two of them, such as touchdown passes, such as yards, um, you know, pro football focuses grade, if you believe in pro football focus, some people do, some people don't. But if you do, they rated Tom Brady as their highest rated quarterback this year. Um, Brady's receivers had more drops. Um, now, again, you can, one thing Anthony pointed out was, well, they had more drops, but probably because Brady had more attempts. Well, Brady had like maybe 180 more attempts than Rodgers did this year, but his team had three times the drops. So say what you will about, um, you know, <laughs> about the, the super team again down in Tampa, but they were dropping the ball a lot. They they were among the league leaders in drops this year, that receiving core was. Green Bay's was not. And Devontae Adams is right now a far better wide receiver than anybody on Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay's got some good receivers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those guys aren't good. But Devontae's better than all of them. Um, and so... When you consider that Rodgers had that, Rodgers had a superior running game. And that's one of the things that I noticed, too, was that quarterbacks that either throw the ball less and run more or just have a more effective run game, their efficiency jumps way up. It's reminiscent of when the Cowboys, that last great Tony Romo season in like 2014, they just took the ball out of Romo's hands and said, okay, DeMarco Murray, you're going to just lead the league in rushing. And DeMarco Murray had like 1,700, 1,800 yards that year. But people were talking about Romo should be MVP. And, and I, at the time, I had the website and I was saying like, no, DeMarco Murray should be the candidate for MVP, not Romo. Not that Romo wasn't playing well, but it's like, yeah, Romo's job got a lot easier and he became a lot more efficient because the Dallas run game took off. And DeMarco Murray was mashing dudes. And that offensive line was killing everybody. That was the reason why Romo saw that efficiency. You know who else benefited from that? Baker Mayfield. Last year, second half of the season, they took the ball out of his hands for a lot of games, and they put it in Nick Chubb's hands, they put it in Kareem Hunt's hands, and what happened? Baker's efficiency went up. Baker's performance went up. Yes, a good run game helps. Well, who happens to have one of the highest-rated running back tandems in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus? That would be the Green Bay Packers. And even with all the injuries they had to the offensive line, that offensive line played well all year. 
So I don't even know if it matters that it's a packed work offensive line. If the line is playing well, and if they're dominating in the run game, what difference does it make? You know, I mean, I mean we, can, we can give Rodgers some credit for that, I suppose. But, I mean, it doesn't seem to make a ton of difference. So the other thing that, you know, Anthony pointed out that a lot of people pointed out is the interceptions thing. Interceptions are important. The fact that Rodgers only threw four is incredible. Um, but that alone, I don't think, even interception to touchdown ratio alone is not what makes an MVP necessarily. I mean, Kirk Cousins TD to IN, or excuse me, TD to INT ratio is great too. I don't hear anybody clamoring Kirk Cousins for MVP. Well, that's because Rodgers has the wins. Well, I thought wins weren't a QB stat. That's what all the Brady haters always say. They always say winning is not a QB stat. Now, in the, in, the, in the history of the voting of this award, we know that wins matter. But Brady and Rodgers have the same amount of wins. Granted, the Packers are the number one seed by a tiebreaker. But if you take out the Kansas City game where Aaron didn't play, or if you count that as a loss because his team lost and he hurt his team because of his own actions, he wasn't on the field that day, he should not, get to, he should not be absolved of that loss then, I mean, they pretty much had the same record, Tampa and Green Bay did. Now, and granted, again, I concede the fact that Green Bay kind of mailed it in the last week of the season. But, I mean, even as, un- as uneven as the Buccaneers were this year, with all the problems they had, all the injuries they had in the secondary, which their secondary is banged up all year, all the skill position guys that were hurt, guess who has the second best record in football behind Green Bay? Tampa Bay. You would not think that the Buccaneers, as uneven as they've been, would be the second best team in football record-wise, but they are. Only two teams won 13 games. That would be the Packers and the Bucks. And Brady, the fact that his efficiency numbers are on par with Rodgers, despite way more attempts, is actually more impressive. So, the volume, the raw numbers, Brady is way out in front the efficiency numbers are pretty close and Brady still has way more attempts and the other thing that Brady's done is lead his team to victory five times on game-winning drives this year now not granted not all game-winning drives are created equal but we saw opening night uh, against the Dallas Cowboys one of the elite defenses in the NFL Brady uh, lead the team down for a game-winning field goal we saw against Buffalo uh, in overtime, he threw a, a game-winning touchdown pass in that in that contest. We saw what he did against the Jets a couple of weeks ago when Antonio Brown went AWOL, and he was throwing to, to Cyril Grayson the entire drive. And granted, it was the Jets, but it was still a 90-yard touchdown drive with, in under two minutes with no time left. Or excuse me, no timeouts left. And he, and he had a game-winning drive against the Patriots in Foxborough, another elite defense. So we've seen Brady. Brady played a murderer's row of defenses all year. Rodgers did not. His defenses were... Rodgers played the Bears twice, the Vikings twice, and the Lions twice. Uh, I wouldn't exactly say that that's a murderer's row, but when you look at Brady, he played the Patriots. He played the Saints twice. We saw what the Saints did to Rodgers. Brady played them twice. He played the Patriots. He played the Cowboys. He played the Rams. He played the Eagles, which have a pretty good defense. And Brady completed 80% of his passes against them. He played the Dolphins and threw five touchdowns and no picks against them. So, you know, 
when you factor in all these things, when you factor in that the, you know, again, I mentioned the drop rate, the turnover worthy plays, uh, that's basically a dead heat between the two. Even though Rodgers has way fewer interceptions than Brady does, Brady actually had three interceptions go right off receiver's hands, and another one was a Hail Mary. So his 12 interceptions, which looks really dramatic next to Rodgers, really should be like eight. And so it's a big difference between Rodgers' 37 touchdowns and four picks versus Tom Brady's 43 touchdowns and eight picks. Looks a lot different. I don't know, man. Call me crazy, but when you add all this stuff up, Brady setting the NFL record for completions in a season, I don't, I don't know how Brady's not the, the, the shoe-in for MVP. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go as far as to call it a travesty like Bruce Arians did, but Rodgers would not be my first choice. He wouldn't even be my second choice. Cooper Cup would be my second choice. Rogers, I'd have Rodgers third, but I'm not going to throw a fit when Rodgers wins, and I fully expect him to win, but he shouldn't win. And we know what this type of thing would do to Brady in the playoffs as if that guy needs any more motivation. But you want to know what the real reason why Rodgers is leading in the MVP discussion? The real reason he's leading in the MVP discussion. And yeah, Rodgers, you know, he had the game against Arizona. I get it. I mean, that game is a loss if if A.J. Green doesn't lose the football on the last play of the game and it's intercepted by Green Bay. Rodgers doesn't win that game. It's not that, though. It's not, you know, obviously Brady has... He had eight drops in the end zone more than any other quarterback and three times the drops of Rodgers, but it's not that either. The real reason Rodgers is the front runner and Brady isn't is because Aaron Rodgers had his worst game of the season in week one. It was September. It was warm out. Tom Brady had his worst game of the season on December 19th. It feels like just yesterday. It was less than a month ago. Also, Brady's game was on Sunday Night Football in primetime. Standalone game. Rodgers was a 1 o'clock game that wasn't even in New Orleans. It was in Jacksonville on a neutral field. But those things matter. The recency bias is what's hurting Tom Brady. If, if you flip that and Brady's worst game of the season was week one, and Rodgers' worst game of the season was week, whatever it was, 14, and it was December 19th, I think we'd be looking at this MVP discussion very differently, even if everything else was the same. The record, the seeding, the statistics, I still believe that we're looking at a very different MVP discussion. And that's wrong, y'all. The fact that Rodgers had his stinker and got it out of the way in September should not be the reason why he's crowned MVP. But I wholeheartedly believe that's the biggest reason why he is right now. Because Brady had a game where he got shut out at home in a standalone primetime game. And I believe I believe the reason why that happened is because none of his all his weapons got hurt in that game in the first half. I think that had a lot to do with that. But that stung. People saw that. Everybody was watching that game. It, you know, the other team's quarterback was Trevor Simeon or whoever it was, and it didn't look good. And so I get it. I get it. But is that, is that what, what you think an MVP should be decided on when you have your bad day? 
because that's lunacy, if you ask me. If you have that bad game, in this, if Rodgers has that bad game in December, I think it's a different story. But instead, he gets to feast on Sean Mannion on his Sunday night game at home. And then it's, well, Aaron, you're probably going to win MVP. Tell us, how do you feel about that? It's garbage, y'all. It's garbage. Doesn't pass the smell test. It smells like trash. All right? But again, it's hilarious how people are putting that shutout loss on Brady and saying that's why he can't win MVP or he shouldn't win MVP when I thought wins and losses weren't a QB stat. They always flip the narrative around when it's, when it's, Tommy, when it's Tommy Seven ranks. <laughs> they always got to flip it around. They always got to pull the slick stuff, you know. Wins are not a QB stat only when it favors Brady. But when it's working against Brady, ah, well, you know, you should have won that game, Tom. Again, it's trash, y'all. Don't be fooled. So that brings us to the 2021 NFL playoffs, which obviously take place in 2022. Through the magic of technology, it is now Saturday, <laughs> January 15th. Yes, I, I took a, a day off in between to finish the podcast, and now I'm back to wrap it up with my predictions for Wild Card Weekend and uh, my Super Bowl pick at the start of the playoffs. Again, we have an insane record here at Hip Hop Sports Support for picking these games. And so hopefully we can continue that trend. Although I must say, this will probably be the most difficult year to pick playoff games ever. And the main reason is because of COVID. People don't know who's staying or going, who's in the lineup, who's out of the lineup. They're moving the protocols around. Do they have a negative test? Are they positive? How many days has it been since they found out? Do they are they asymptomatic or not? All that stuff it just throws every week into chaos, and so we really don't know what these teams are going to look like on game day. Not to mention, it's just a very deep field this year. It just feels as though the uh, the NFC is better than the AFC, frankly. But both conferences are pretty wide open. It feels like to me, and uh, the AFC may not be maybe more wide open than you think, and the NFC is definitely wide open. So let's get into it real quick. So first. The first game of the weekend, wild card weekend, the uh, Bengals are five and a half point favorites over the Raiders. This game is in Cincinnati. Uh, the Bengals actually mauled the Raiders earlier this year. <laughs> and um, and it, it's weird, though, because I actually have a gut feeling. And, and if you guys paid attention to me last year, I mean, I picked a lot of upsets. I picked a lot of road games, road teams to win. And I got a gut feeling, man, that the Raiders are going to pull this one out. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I dove into the numbers. Okay, there's not a lot there to support the Raiders. I'm just going to put that out there right now. They are clearly um, outside of the Steelers. They're the worst team in the playoffs, probably. There just isn't a lot of, um, there just isn't a lot there. Like, there's not a lot to hang your hat on and say, well, this team, you know, they, they, oh, this team, you know, they can stop the run, or you know, this team is going to air it out, and then they put up points in a hurry, or this team is is really well coached, and they don't get a lot of penalties, or this team never turns the ball over. Or, nah, the Raiders are pretty like average to below average in almost everything. Uh, here's what they have going for them: they have Derek Carr, and Derek Carr is an underrated quarterback, and he's got a lot of moxie and a lot of guts to him. Um, and even bigger than Derek Carr, this team has a lot of character and a lot of fight in them. We saw it this year. I don't think anybody would have thought that they would make the playoffs after the Gruden scandal and then after the Henry Ruggs situation, which which was um, the only word to use to describe that situation as tragic for everybody involved. And it just crippled the Raiders, or so it seemed, but they've just managed to bounce back. I mean, if you look at 
the Raiders, I think they're probably about the hottest team in football entering the playoffs just about. I mean, maybe not, you know, including like the Packers or whatever, but the Raiders have won um, four straight. They've won five of seven. And since they lost to the Bengals, they've won five of seven games. They lost, they, they, after they lost to Cincinnati, 32 to 13 at home. On a short week, they went to Dallas and then beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving in the final seconds. Then they suffered two losses. They got killed by Kansas City in one of them. And then they beat the Browns in the final seconds. They beat the Broncos narrowly. They beat the Colts in the thriller. And then they beat the Chargers in the thriller. And so this team has this never-say-die thing about them where they've just managed to keep finding ways to win, and you can't totally knock it. Now, you're probably sitting there saying, well, what about Cincinnati? Well, Cincinnati is immensely talented on offense, uh, at the skill positions, but they're not all that talented at the positions that matter even more, which is the offensive line and in the trenches. And we saw what Max Crosby did to the Chargers the other day. Um, I believe that the Raiders have the capacity to dominate this game in the trenches where it really counts. And you might not think that a, a, a West Coast team in a dome would be able to travel to Cincinnati outdoors and, and play that type of game, but I just feel like the Vegas. I just feel like Vegas is tough, man. I feel like Rich Basachi has got this team playing some ball. I feel like they can out-physical the Bengals. I feel like they're going to have a hard time protecting Joe Burrow, who I love, by the way. I told y'all three years ago or two years ago before he was even drafted into the NFL that he was better than Baker Mayfield. Uh, Joe Burrow, I'm a Joe Burrow fan. I I think the Cincinnati Bengals got a real one. But I also don't think that he's going to make a big run in his first foray into the playoffs. The Bengals haven't won a playoff game, I believe, since 1991. And... So despite everything that despite everything that the Raiders are going through, um, coming off a short week, you know, having the worst turnover differential of any team in the playoffs, worst points allowed, um, you know, and they're probably going to be tired after that late Sunday night game against the Chargers, and now playing an early Saturday game after traveling east, they have every excuse in the world to not be competitive, and I just feel like they're going to be. You know, it's not a knock on Burrow. They got Chase and Higgins, amazing skill weapons. Joe Mixon's nice. All that stuff. Bengals have a decent defense. I get all that. I just feel like the Raiders are going to win, man. Call it the ghost of John Madden, the great legendary John Madden, R.I.H. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like maybe they'll take the bus to the game. They'll take the Madden Cruiser all the way out to Cincinnati. I don't know what it is, man. I just have a feeling that the Raiders got one more trick up their sleeve, and I think they're going to win. I take them to, to win straight up on the money line. Bills and Patriots. Supposedly, the Bills have played the easiest schedule of any team in the league, I believe. But if, if you look at it, that makes a lot of sense, at least in terms of the statistical argument that they put up as a team. When you look at total team offense and team defense, there really aren't too many teams better than the Buffalo Bills this year. Uh, they played New England twice. They lost the first game, but that was fluky. You know, the wind was like whipping at like 78 miles an hour or whatever it was. We saw that. Um, the Patriots deployed this strategy where they just said, okay, we're not going to allow Mac Jones to beat us. <laughs> Forget Buffalo. We're not going to let our rookie quarterback beat us. We're going to hand the ball off 90% of the time in this game. And that's what they did. And somehow they won. But they really only won because they popped one long run. And sometimes I guess that's all it takes. But I don't see that happening, happening again, even though it's supposed to be ridiculously cold tonight in Buffalo, like literally one degree at kickoff or whatever. I just see the Bills having uh, the ability to replicate their win in New England more easily than vice versa. And we know how I feel about Bill Belichick. Bill, we got to stop calling this guy the greatest coach of all time. Everybody just says that and they don't think twice about it. Paul Brown is the greatest coach in NFL history. 
Bill Belichick patterned himself after Paul Brown. Paul Brown was 50 years ahead of his time with his innovations to coaching, okay? We need to stop disrespecting the legend that is Paul Brown by calling Bill Belichick the greatest coach ever. Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of his generation, and that should be good enough. He's not the greatest coach ever. I don't give a damn how many Super Bowls he wins uh, unless he starts winning them without Tom Brady because we know that Bill Belichick is sub-500 in his career without Tom Brady. He's played two playoff games ever, I believe, coaching two playoff games ever without Tom Brady. He's one and one. So let's see what he can do without the greatest football player that ever lived. I mean, I'm not so confident that he's going to be able to do much today. I feel like Mac Jones is still too limited. Um, and I feel like we're going to see Buffalo kind of – They, I, think, I feel like they figured some stuff out with Josh Allen running the ball last time, and uh, it's, it's a lot on his shoulders, but they've also gotten the ground game going with Devin Singletary, to my surprise, a little bit. I like the Bills, man. I like the Bills to win and cover. Um, I feel like the Patriots are a good defense, but they're not an amazing defense. I feel like uh, a lot of it's going to be mental. I think the team that gets out to an early lead is really going to be set up and positioned well to win, even more so than a normal game. Uh, if we see the Bills get out to an early lead, we know that Mac Jones in that atmosphere in Buffalo with the with the Bills Mafia in that weather that he said he does not like, we know Mac Jones isn't going to lead them from like a double digit deficit. So let the Bills get out ten nothing, fourteen to three or whatever. It's it's over. I don't I don't see Mac Jones leading them back in that scenario. Um, meanwhile, if the Patriots get off to a good start, uh, I feel like some of that. Big brother, little brother, New England Patriots stuff might seep into their heads a little bit. I can see it being a very long and difficult game at that point if the Pats get out to a quick start and surprise Buffalo. But I don't see that happening. I think the Bills win and cover. Tomorrow we have the Buccaneers and the Eagles. Um, We've talked a little bit about the Buccaneers quarterback on this podcast. Talking about their defense more specifically, though, we saw all year long that Tampa's defense was would bend but not break and if you look at their points allowed uh, they're actually one of the better teams in the league in not giving up points but uh, you can't move the ball on them at times where you really can't move the ball on them well even still is on the ground and I know that some people will tell you that you can move the ball on the ground on Tampa I'm here to tell you that you can't move the ground the ball on the ground on Tampa that easily especially if Vita Vey is in there and Levante David's in there I don't and they have a healthy team now their secondary has been banged up from day one I mentioned that earlier and so they're going to have to get that together before the playoffs conclude if they if they have any designs on repeating as champions. But the Eagles are not equipped to take advantage of the Buccaneers' soft secondary in that way. Um, they are a run-heavy team. I, I applaud them how um, Nick Sirianni has transformed that team on the fly midseason to a completely power-run team. Uh, I wish the Browns would have done that this year with Baker instead of trying to fourth. And uh, Forget it. I'm not going to go down that road again. Um <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate the Eagles doing that, and I appreciate that they've found value in the run game, and they have just a stable of like average running backs that they're not will, afraid to throw the throw at you. And then they have a quarterback who can scramble around and run as well. And Jalen Hurts uh, can actually have a drastic impact on the game with his legs. I don't see him and the Eagles being able to keep up scoring enough to hang with Tampa. Again, we saw Brady play them earlier this year, and he, he, hit him, he lit him up for 80% completions in that game. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see Phillies. The problem with the Eagles is it's a bad matchup for them. Their greatest strength is their run game, and Tampa's greatest strength defensively is their run defense. It's one of the tops in the league. It has been for the last several years. So I don't see them being able to move the ball with that much success on Tampa, and they're not going to beat them in a shootout airing it out. So I have Tampa winning. Um, 
the the again on the line uh let's see so it's bucks by eight and a half which is tough because i can see a scenario where either team does pulls a backdoor cover at the end there's a late score and philly is able to cover at the end or vice versa tampa is able to do it um i guess I'm, I'm gonna guess the eagles cover i'm gonna say the eagles keep it within eight and a half but uh, i can see a scenario again where one of these two teams pulls a backdoor cover and, and screw somebody, <laughs> screw somebody up, screw somebody's parlay. Um, Cowboys and Niners, boy, boy. Cowboys and Niners is a good one, y'all. Um, it takes me back to my childhood watching all those NFC Championship games uh, with with John Madden and Pat Summerall in the booth with Deion Sanders flipping sides and all that stuff. I mean, it was it was great, great, great football back in those days um i think this will be i think this has the potential to be an amazing football game everybody is on the niners and let me tell you you guys know if you guys follow this website at all you know that i've been on the niners for years i've said that they've but they're my favorite team in the league just about uh i picked them to win the super bowl two years ago um i picked them i think i picked them to go back to the super bowl uh what was it maybe the year after or something like that i think i picked them yeah i think that's right i think i picked them to go back the year after and then they just had a year from hell last year with all the injuries and they're finally starting to get healthy safe for jimmy g's hand but we saw jimmy g pull some miraculous stuff at the end of the week 18 and so um i don't know how you don't love george kittle and debo samuel those dudes are football players and i would want a hundred of those dudes on my team every single time if i could but um here's the thing everybody's picking the niners so that's gonna make me pick the cowboys i don't know what it is but like Everybody saw what the Niners did on national TV. Everybody's been all on the Niners all week now, and it's, it's Niners, Niners, Niners. And there's reasons to not like the Cowboys because they've kind of um, – they've pretty much done all their damage against NFC teams that aren't very good. <laughs> so I get that. But, um, you know, Dallas has an elite offense and the best turnover defense in the league. And so you know in, in terms of differential and for, or in terms of forcing turnovers. So you know that – Jimmy G's going to throw a couple to Dallas. He does every game. He throws one or two up for grabs every single game. Maybe Dallas turns one to two into two to three. If Jimmy G has two to three picks, they're not going to win this game. So, it was, again, turnovers always matters a lot. But I feel like in this game, the turnover story is really going to dictate who's going to win this game. Um, you know, I, I would pick the Niners, uh, you know, if, if, not, if not for everybody else probably being on the bandwagon. But even though the Cowboys are as public of a team as it gets and they're favored by three, I'm going to take Dallas to win. I'm going to take the Niners to cover, and I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys to win a very narrow game. I I love their defense. I love Micah Parsons, um, and I feel like Dak is able to do just enough to get over the hump, even though I feel like the Niners are probably the better football team, and the Niners could go on a serious run all the way back to the Super Bowl if they're able to get out of this week. But, man, I'll tell you who would be happy to see the the Niners go home would be the Green Bay Packers. Let me just put that out there. Um, And then – we have the, the Chiefs and the, the Steelers. I don't know how the Steelers made the playoffs, but they did it by the grace of God. Um, but they, they're just happy to be there at this point. I think the Chiefs maul them. We don't even need to spend a lot of time on this game. I feel like, um, you know, J.J. Watt has the capacity, excuse me, T.J. Watt has the capacity to make life difficult on Mahomes in Kansas City. But if they can just figure out how to block that guy, I don't feel like there's any other scenario that the Steelers can win this game outside of T.J. Watt just having the game of his life and just being in the backfield all day long and, and, and setting up a, a, a tent and just hanging out next to Mahomes. Short of that, I don't think the Steelers have any chance at all. I feel like the, the Chiefs actually win this game going away, much like they did against the Steelers a few weeks ago in Kansas City. They stomped them. I think they're going to stomp them again. I don't see the Steelers hanging around. Give me the Chiefs, and I'll swallow the points on that one. 
And then Monday night, I don't know why they threw a game on Monday night. I kind of hate that because then it's like, what happens to that team? The team that wins on Monday night in advance has to play on a short week the following week, I would think. So I don't really understand that. But it's Rams and Cardinals. I feel like that's a, that's a really uh, close game. The Rams are favored by four. Um, uh, it's a bit of a, of a toss-up there. I'm swallowing 12 and a half points with Kansas City, by the way. It's a lot of points. But yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and take the Rams to actually beat the Cardinals. I think this is a one could go either way as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a huge Kyler Murray fan, and I'm not a huge Matt Stafford fan. But I think there's enough guys on that Rams defense, and they've been there enough times to where I feel like they can pull this one out. Um, I don't love Cliff Kingsbury either. Uh, I do like Sean McVay. So I feel like the coaching edge goes to the Rams. I feel like the experience goes to the Rams. Rams have home field, um, I, and I just feel like they're a little better. I feel like the Cardinals have been kind of spiraling towards the latter half of this year, and um, and they just haven't been playing their best ball going into the playoffs. Now, I say that knowing that the Rams just lost the other day uh, to the 49ers and, and blew a big lead, but uh, I just feel like in a game that, that I could see the Cardinals winning, but just give me the Rams. I, I just feel like they're a little bit better of a football team. They have uh, more playmakers that are healthier at this point. Uh, outside of their running back situation than than do the Cardinals and so uh, I'll take the Rams to advance which is also bad news for the Packers but I do have the Cardinals covering the four points though um oh real quick Super Bowl pick I, I'm, it's, it's, it's not in my blood to pick against Tom Brady so I'm gonna pick the Buccaneers to get back I had them at the beginning of the season against the Browns the Browns didn't fulfill their end of the bargain as you know so I'll take the Bucks to get back out of the NFC they're about as under the radar as a champion can go and Brady's gonna get motivated by not getting MVP um, we already saw he didn't get first team all pro I think I cracked the code though y'all what Tom should have done is he should have thrown the ball less that's how he should have won MVP because evidently throwing the ball less is what's going to get you the award these days. Or, no, you know, better yet, he should have missed the game because missing the game would have exposed how bad the Bucks would be without him if Blaine Gabbert had started because evidently that also makes up the Aaron Rodgers argument is that he, they stunk without him. So maybe if Brady doesn't play, we get to see Blaine Gabbert. That, that should have won an MVP. Next year, sit out a game time and then they'll give you the award. And then out of the AFC, I don't see Kansas City going to three straight Super Bowls. That's really hard to do. They don't feel like they've had it all together this year. Tennessee is the one seed, but I don't know if they're equipped to capitalize on it. I'm going to take Buffalo, man. I don't love the Bills either. They they can definitely lay some eggs, um, but I feel like they're the best team offensively and defensively. They're the best team that's equipped to, to make a run, to go into Kansas City and beat a Kansas City. They did it earlier this year. They mauled them in Kansas City, and they have playoff experience. They played up in Arrowhead last year. I feel like this is their time to break through. Jay Hicks signing off. Enjoy the playoffs, y'all. I'll be back at you next week in some capacity to pick the division around games. Peace.